0: It's Tony Robbins, welcome to the podcast once again. Today's focus is on the power of anticipation. Look, if I could give you one competitive advantage in business, it would be to stop reacting and start anticipating. You know, we all heard the story, I'm sure, and I had the privilege of working with uh, one of the greats in hockey, Wayne Gretzky, and everyone said, look, he's not the tallest guy, he's not the strongest guy, he's not the fastest guy. And yet he's the best. And when somebody asked him a long time ago, you know, how is it that you managed to consistently be one of the best players in the game, perhaps in history? And he was very, very calm about it and very humble. And he said, well, perhaps it's because I skate to where the puck is going, not where the puck is. The anticipation where the puck is going was his advantage in business, the more you can anticipate what's happening with your clients, what's happening in the economy, what's happening with competition, the greater advantage that you have. And yet, it's also an advantage in terms of understanding just stages of life, what's happening to you personally, what's happening to your family, to your kids. I always say that, look, leaders anticipate and losers always earn reaction Uh, an example i often give is playing a video game against the child i'm sure you've all been roped in at one point (laughs) where you knew better maybe you gave a child a gift for christmas or their birthday and you're a mom a dad an aunt or an uncle and the young boy or girl says to you oh come play this game with me uncle mom dad whoever you are and And you say, no, 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 I'm not good at it. And they go, no, it's really easy. Let me just show you. And they go and they pick up the gun and they kill like 10 guys in 10 seconds. And you go, heck, I could do this. They go, come on, join me. So you say, okay, I'm going to show this kid a thing or two. And what do you do? You get in there and bam, bam, bam. In three seconds, you're dead. And the child looks at you and says, that was very good. And then they go and shoot, bam, -bam, ba-bam, 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 ba-bam. And they go on for 45 minutes before they get knocked out of one turn. Now you're pissed. Now you're frustrated. Now you're going to show this kid you're really determined. And what happens? You're dead in five seconds. And the kid goes on for another hour. You know the drill, right? We've all been there. So why does the child always win? Why? Is it because they're smarter? Because they're quicker? Because they're faster? Because they're younger? No. It's because they know the road ahead. They know the road ahead because they played this game before. So they're not reacting, they're anticipating. They know the first bad guy is going to be on the left and up, and the next bad guy is going to be on the right and down. And so they can go there instantly without hesitancy, instead of trying to react to a problem or a challenge that comes forward to them. And I really believe this is one of the greatest gifts you can give in your life. So today, I'm going to talk with you here. I have a little session with you here on the power of anticipation, one of my power talks years ago. And, you know, if you think about it in business, those that anticipate, those that find that advantage, those are the people that completely dominate, right? It's, it's another version to some extent of this idea of the blue ocean strategy, but in a different way. And if you will really anticipate, you're going to get a gigantic competitive advantage. So I want to talk with you about that. And by the way, I also want to point out to you in advance that some people anticipate for a period of time. I mentioned in this audio a little bit about the great advantage that Bill Gates created by his anticipation of where, you know, the personal computer market would go. But he stopped anticipating when it came to the web. That's why Google started to dominate at a higher level. Apple found its niche by anticipating. So that's what you're really looking for. And then to help you think about life differently... You know, many people try to think of anticipate tomorrow by looking at yesterday, and we're living in a time of geometric change. We know technology isn't just changing a little, we've hit that curve in the geometric growth where all of a sudden you have these giant transformations that occur. Over the next few five, ten years, 15 years, things are going to happen to look like magic. So I thought what we'd do is I asked Anna York to interview Martin Ford. Martin wrote the book, The Rise of the Robots, The Technology and the Threat of a Jobless Future. And what's really cool about this is, you know, everybody talks about they want things to be better, but nobody wants to change. And we're going to go through some major changes in our job market, in our technology, because not only are robots coming, this is not something 15, 20, 30 years from now, there's some coming right now, but the price point's going to be so low, it could give you a huge advantage in business if you understand what's coming. So enjoy the podcast and enjoy Martin Ford. But first, let's talk about some anticipation and its power in your own business and life.
1: We live in a world where all business owners have to be able to run two businesses, the business you're in today, and the business you're becoming. The world is changing constantly. And now, more than ever, we need to be aware of new technology breakthroughs, new insights, and changes in culture and economics. The business leader who is constantly anticipating and looking at what's around the corner, rather than just running the business they're in now, is the one who will thrive and grow. And as the developed world stands at a unique moment in history, where technology is replacing more jobs than it creates, your ability to anticipate could make or break your business.
2: The people in our society that have been able to anticipate certain trends are the people that are the best in the world at what they do, and they are incredibly successful and wealthy. A simple example of this would be Bill Gates. Here's a young man who's now the richest man in America. How'd he do it? Was he an absolute genius? Yes, he was very, very bright. But there are a lot of other people brighter than him when he went to Harvard. In fact, that's one of the things he was most frustrated with. He used to be king of the hill. He went to Harvard. He wasn't the best. But he did one thing better than anybody else. He anticipated the growth of an industry called personal computers and a specific need that this industry would have, basic software. And you know what? He even anticipated the best way to market it, that if he went out and tried to sell this himself, he would never succeed. Instead, he made a decision that has made him hundreds of millions of dollars a year and royalties ever since. He decided to give that technology to IBM and allow them to promote it as the industry standard. Anticipation. What if you could have anticipated the idea of using satellites like Ted Turner? What if you could have anticipated the change in eating habits in our nation, where people might eat good food by choice, (laughs) not because they're forced to or because they have to. They actually look forward to it. It's like their first step. What if you could have anticipated fat-free foods or yogurts? Just think about what you could have done with that. And you know what? If you look at some of the failures in your life, where have they come from? I would be willing to bet they came from your failure to anticipate.
1: So how do you anticipate change on the horizon? By accepting new paradigms. Because in business, the psychology of a leader who resists a coming trend is capable of destroying everything he or she has built.
2: What do we really need, then, to master this principle of anticipation? What do we need to do so we can utilize paradigm shifts to our advantage? The first thing we've got to do is adopt a new belief system. And that belief system is not only is change inevitable, but it is our advantage. The status quo is not to your advantage unless you're already on top and have mastered it for decades. Now, if you're one of those people, let me tell you your advantage. You're going to have to grow, which will make you happy, because you're not going to be happy just sitting on top doing nothing. But for most people in life, they're still pursuing a way to become better, more successful. And if the rules of the game are changing, it means, guess what? You are on an equal playing field with almost anybody else. I'll give you a fun example. I've been reading a lot of books recently because I really wanted to master this experience of anticipation. I wanted to make it more of a science. So one of the things I started doing is reading a lot of books forecasting the future. So I went back and I reread Megatrends from years ago, and then I read Megatrends 2000, and then I read some of Toffler's books, and then I read Joel Barker's book on Future Edge and Managing the Future. And as I started reading all these books, I, you know, Faith Popcorn's book, obviously, The Popcorn Report, and what I decided to do is I thought, well, this is really wonderful. But what I'm doing here is I'm getting everybody else's view of the future, which is really valuable information. But I want to know how are they predicting it? That was one of my major goals in meeting with some of these individuals personally. How are they predicting the future? In other words, in life, what I used to do is I say, who is really successful at something? It's something I want to master. And then I go find out what they're doing that makes them successful, and I do the same thing. I'd model their actions and I get very similar results. And it allowed me to save myself a tremendous amount of time. I compressed time by learning by their experience. But as the years went by, I drove my modeling a little deeper. And I started asking not only, okay, this person's getting a result, what are the actions getting that result? But I started going a step deeper and said, what are the organizing principles that are allowing them to know that these are the actions to take in the first place in order to get those results consistently? And I began to pursue organizing principles, which is, by the way, all power talk is about. It's my chance to be with you and to share with you organizing principles. And by having this program, i got to continue to pursue new ones that I can share with you. Certainly we need to review the ones that make sense. Repetition is the mother of skill. But I'm always searching for another distinction, another organizing principle that can increase the quality of our life. So with these people that are futurists, I started saying, okay, what are they doing? Then I started saying, how are they doing it? Where are these trends really coming from in the first place? And as I pursued that, I started looking not just at the trends, which all these books told me about, but how do you track trends? There's a great book called Trend Tracking, and this book describes the way of actually tracking. It's kind of like what these futurists do to start making their predictions. So now we knew a little bit about their actions. So then I said a step deeper, okay, I can see how to track it, but where do they actually come from? And I realized that all actions, everything that we're doing, all the behaviors of the masses, those trends are coming from a a conditioned way of thinking. So I started studying paradigms, the thought processes that are consistent amongst a mass number of people where a large number of people share the same assumptions about what the rules of the game are, about what's going to happen. They may be absolutely wrong, but if enough people believe it, people start to buy into it. Then I started saying, well, where do those assumptions come from? And where do those assumptions come from through history? So I've been reading all these books on history and looking at how different ways of thinking through history have created certain consequences in our society. And then I dug even deeper and said, okay, where do these ways of thinking come from? What shapes the way we think and the way we feel in the first place? And I got back down to pain and pleasure. Now, why am I telling you all this? Because out of everything I've read, I've clearly come across one critical organizing principle that you must adopt to be successful in any time in human history. It's a belief system that if you'll adopt it, I guarantee you it will change the quality of your life forever. And the belief is simply this. The same level of thinking that has gotten you to the level of success you have today will not get you to the level of success you want for tomorrow and beyond. In other words, all that's worked for you up until now that you value so much may go out the window in a day. And you've got to not only know that, but anticipate that. And you say, well, that doesn't feel very good. I don't like thinking about everything I've done that works, you know, may just go out the door tomorrow. I'm not saying it will, I'm saying it may, and you've got to be prepared for that. You can't be thinking because you're the best at what you do, you're always going to be the best at what you do just by making incremental improvements. Listen, if you worked in the carburetor industry, what happened? Here you were making the best carburetors in town, you were always making your carburetors better and better and better, and one day, guess what happened? Overnight, there were no more carburetors, because they had a thing called fuel injection which cut fuel usage from a third to two-thirds. Everybody needed one. Everybody wanted one. And all those skills that you'd honed for a lifetime were worthless. Or how about the vinyl record industry, where literally overnight it disappeared. Think about it. That's called a paradigm shift, where the rules of the game changed overnight. The rules of the game change, the barriers change, the approach change, and you know what? There are brand new winners, and the people that used to be winners are now losers. This is very good news for you because it means if you stay on the cutting edge, if you anticipate, there's always a way for you to make your fortune, there's always a way for you to be at the cutting edge, there's always a way to turn your company or your career in a whole new direction. But you've got to operate from this principle, it says, just because it's worked up until now and because it's made me successful doesn't mean it will tomorrow.
1: One of the most powerful triggers of change is new technology. Think about it. How fast did the movie rental industry change? Blockbuster is a thing of the past, and now Netflix is a household name. And consider a few other technology disruptors. How about Instagram, which Facebook purchased in April 2012 for a billion dollars? Think about it. If you came up with the idea of a mobile app to share your photos through filters with friends, you'd have a billion dollars today. Need more proof? Consider the mobile messaging service WhatsApp that Facebook purchased for more than $16 WhatsApp was founded in 2009 and three years later it was processing 10 billion messages daily. That's why participating in tech shifts, not just protecting yourself from them, can make way for your impact in the world and your fortune in business. I'm your host, Anna Yorg, and today we're going to be speaking with a veritable expert on some of the biggest upcoming changes in technology. Martin Ford, software entrepreneur and author of Rise of the Robots, Technology and the Threat of a Jobless Future, which just won the Financial Times and the McKinsey Business Book of the Year Award. Martin, thanks for joining us, and congratulations on the success of your book.
3: Well, thank you, and thanks for having me.
1: Great. So I'd love to start off with just understanding what drove you to write this book. Why robots? Why did you think it was important to share this information now?
3: Well, you know, I've been running a small software company for quite a few years. I started it back in the mid 1990s, and I saw in my own little business uh, the impact that this was having. You know, software used to be fairly labor-intensive in the sense that there was physical things to ship. There were CD-ROMs and manuals and all of that, and all of that created work for typical people. But within just a few years, I saw all of that disappear, you know. And now, of course, software is delivered electronically or it's hosted in the cloud. I mean, there there really isn't anything tangible for people to deliver or produce. And as a result, there's a lot less uh, work there, especially for typical people. Uh, And my sort of insight, I think, was that that was a preview of what we're likely to see everywhere as artificial intelligence and robotics begins to kind of invade the whole economy, you know, ju- not just the technology sector. And that's really what motivated me to start uh, thinking about this and writing about it.
1: So you mentioned that you saw something happen over the past few years and, and that's what drove you. Um, how fast is, is this transition happening, right? So going into 2016 and beyond, um, do you see the pace accelerating or do you think that it's just going to continue happening at a at, at the same pace that you've seen?
3: In general, all of this technology is subject to an acceleration. It keeps moving faster and faster, and I think you see some evidence of that. You know, you think, for example, of, of self-driving cars, which just a few years ago no one could imagine, and now every single automotive manufacturing and a whole bunch of tech companies like Google and Uber and all the rest are, are doing research into this, and it looks like it's it's really going to happen, probably within ten or twenty years. Uh, so. I, I think things do move faster and I think that as a result of that, a lot of the progress that we see is going to surprise us. You know, you can't look at the last 10 or 20 years and say, well, that's how things worked in and so the next 10 or 20 years are going to look the same. Uh, in fact, everything is going to unfold a lot more rapidly and uh, I think we really need to start thinking about the implications of all of this maybe a little bit in advance so that we can adapt to it.
1: Right. So what about the sort of domestic versus international question? Because, you know, you're mentioning how robots, you know, they, they ultimately lower costs and increase efficiency. So the, the idea is, okay, maybe some of this manufacturing will, you know, move back to the U.S. How do you see that unfolding over the next few years?
3: In, in general, this is a global trend. Uh, you know, it's going to impact every country in the world, including developing countries. Um, we are seeing some manufacturing come back to the united states as a result of this i mean that that sort of makes sense if labor is going to become less important in the future then obviously companies that build factories are going to be less concerned with building them in places where labor is cheap because it's not going to matter too much and so they'll they'll begin to look at other factors for example it will make sense to build factories close to markets or in a way that minimizes transportation costs and so forth and so we, you are seeing some factories come back to the United States especially in, in areas like the textile industry but the thing is that the factories come back but the jobs don't so so you might have a factory that back in the 1980s would have employed 2,000 people then that that uh, factory went employing 2,000 people it's only employing 150 people so there are a lot fewer jobs there
1: so, what about uh, countries like China, with heavy reliance, reliance on manufacturing? How do how will this impact their economy?
3: Well, it, it potentially could have a tremendous impact. It, actually, a couple of months ago, I went to China for a week to do a, a book tour, and they they're very concerned about this. They're they're concerned about the reshoring issue. They know that by utilizing robotics and and automation, we can perhaps move the factories here, and they're worried about that. They're also worried about their factories moving to even lower wage sectors, for example, Vietnam and, and uh, Indonesia. So in order to prevent that and keep the manufacturing in China, they're bringing their own robots and they're doing that very aggressively. Uh, China is now the biggest market in the world for industrial robots and it's, it's accelerating very rapidly. So um, there's definitely going to be an impact there and there is the concern that, that going forward there may not be enough of those factory jobs even in China to employ the huge number of people that, that really rely on that there.
1: Wow. Um, so out of outside of manufacturing you also mentioned that low wage jobs, um, like fast food and people who work in um agriculture, that those will be impacted as well. Um, And I think that's pretty easy for a lot of us to wrap our heads around, you know, flipping burgers or or, um, other types of manual labor. Um, But what's very interesting is uh, you also noted that the medical field and the legal field and other and creative fields like writing music and art could also be impacted. Um, Can you give us maybe an example of that?
3: Sure. I mean, in general, that's, I think, going to be the biggest disruption in the United States because, of course, we... No, I mean manufacturing is no longer very important in the United States in terms of employment. I mean, not many people work in manufacturing. Everybody works in the service sector. Um, But we are seeing these technologies come really across the board. As you say, it's going to impact the low-wage jobs, but it's also coming for the high-wage, white-collar jobs, things that are done by college graduates. Um, And examples include um, smart algorithms that are taking on some of the work that used to be done by lawyers and paralegals in terms of reviewing documents to figure out which ones are relevant to court cases. Uh, There are systems that can do basic journalism that can tap into a stream of data and then automatically by analyzing that data, they can put together a a pretty compelling news story that really is, it's not easy to see at all that it's written by a machine. It, It looks just like a person wrote it. And you know a lot of those technologies are just at the beginning now, but again, there is this process of acceleration, so it's going to get better and better. And I think that one of the things we can expect is that eventually any kind of knowledge-based job, the kind of job where you are sitting in front of a computer doing something relatively routine and predictable, for example, cranking out the same kind of report or the same kind of, of analysis again and again – all of those jobs are ultimately gonna be susceptible to white collar automation, not the robots, obviously, but to smart algorithms and to machine learning and and so forth. Um, So that that potentially could have a huge impact. And again, the important thing is that these are skilled jobs. I mean, these are the jobs that people who go to college take. And so one of the implications of this is that it kind of upends our conventional thinking about how all this works and what the solution should be, because the solution traditionally has always been that if a robot takes your job, then we ought to send you back to school and give you some more training so that you can do something more, you know, at a, at a higher level. Um, but that that conventional way of thinking is really beginning to um, be upturned by this.
1: Interesting. So going into small business, because a lot of those things you just mentioned, like, for instance, writing, if it's a large media company, I could see – uh, an algorithm replacing a writer, like you said, like the example that you had used for um, uh, writing a, a baseball story or a sports story. Um, what about for small businesses? Uh, what are some of, the, some of the implications for for small business owners?
3: Well, in general, this technology is going to become very widely distributed. I mean, traditionally, robots, of course, have been things in factories, and they've been things that only really big corporations with huge amounts of money can afford to buy. But that that's changing rapidly. There are companies specifically focused on building much more affordable robots. An example is Rethink Robotics in uh, Boston that builds the Baxter robot. I mean, that's, I, you know, I think it's about twenty twenty five thousand dollars $25,000. In other words, it costs less than it would hi- cost to hire a person. And it's specifically intended to be accessible to smaller businesses. Uh, and you're going to see more and more of that as this... Um, As this develops, the same thing is true in in terms of the the impact on white collar jobs, you know, Um, we're seeing really just kind of a proliferation. So instead of being these incredibly expensive enterprise software type things that only big corporations can afford, it's going to be apps. And it's going to be things that in, in some cases might be free, you know, for, for small business to access that they can begin to leverage um, in their businesses. And, of course, that's a very positive story for many small businesses. It means there are going to be tools out there that you can utilize that will allow you to compete. But, it, of course, it also means that the smaller businesses, which, you know, everyone says are the primary engine of creating jobs in our economy, are, are likely to perhaps be less labor intensive going forward. And in fact, you already see evidence of that. Um, you know, it turns out that I saw a recent analysis that says that most small businesses that have been started are really just one person now. You know, they, they don't yeah. really hire any, anyone else. It's really just self-employment where it's one guy working and utilizing all of this technology that's out there to um, create a job for himself. And that's what it's going to look like more and more in the future.
1: Well, so what kind of skill set then would a small business owner need to equip him or herself with in order to leverage the technology, right? In other words, who, who's going to manage the robots?
3: You d- you definitely need to be technology savvy. I mean, you need to be aware of all these opportunities out there as they develop. You don't, I think, necessarily have to be a computer programmer, but you definitely need to be savvy and you need to be aware of it and you need to be constantly tapped into what the opportunities are, because if you're not, your competitors will. I mean, I think I really think that artificial intelligence and robotics are going to be one of the primary drivers that are going to just upend the competitive dynamic for businesses of all sizes. It's going to become just a hugely important parameter on which businesses of all kinds compete. And you already see that with with big tech companies like uh, Google and Facebook. They're like in a talent war right now to, to get the best people in artificial intelligence uh, because it's become something that is just central to, to the way they compete. Uh, but that eventually is going to scale out everywhere, and it's going to be like that for even the smallest businesses. So, I mean, the message is that you've got to be aware of this and you've got to be you know, at the leading edge of this if you want to remain competitive in the future.
1: Yeah, great. So um, is there anything else, any... Um anything outside of some of the concepts in the book, any recent observations that you've had that you want to share?
3: Well, I, my general impression is that this is continuing to move. I mean, I see news stories every day that that surprise me. I mean, one of the things that's really amazing is is the um, progress in artificial intelligence, and it's p- particularly in an area like that's called deep learning, where you now have machines that can, for example, recognize images better than people. And that's just amazing and incredible. I mean, because this, you know, looking at a visual image and figuring out what it is, is something that human beings are particularly good at. And if the machines are getting better, even at that, then it really, I think, portends a disruptive change. So it's really important to, to be aware of the, of the extent of the progress we're seeing. And it's really gonna have big implications across the board, I think.
1: Really interesting. Well, thanks, Martin, so much for your time.
3: Thank you, it's great to be here.
1: have the right mindset and skills to take your business to the next level? Business Mastery is the only event in the world, created by Tony Robbins, to prepare you to master the mindset and skills you need in business to elevate your game. A -a one-of-a-kind, immersive program, Business Mastery will allow you to understand critical factors impacting your business, then refocus and realign with the strategy and psychology you need to compete and innovate in any economy. Remember, business success is 80% psychology and 20% mechanics. If you're ready to learn and master the strategies to help you grow your business and stay competitive, then don't hesitate. Apply for the next Business Mastery program now. Learn more about the Business Mastery event at www.tonyrobbins.com. The Tony Robbins Podcast is directed by Tony Robbins, hosted by Annie York, and produced by Carrie Song. Brooks Loro is our digital editor. Tyler Culbertson is our media coordinator. Special thanks to Diane Adcock for her creative review. Our website is tonyrobbins.com forward slash podcast, where you can listen to all of our episodes, read articles, and learn more about upcoming events. Copyright, Robbins Research International.